The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. Scripture today comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, 13 through chapter 10, verse 7. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and by he and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a, of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich shall sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Good morning. If this is your first time here, we're so glad that you're here. My name is Jared Huffman. I'm on staff here at Restoration Southside, and we are so glad to have you. And if it is your first time here, you might have seen the redhead standing about this high uh, sing so wonderfully and then come and sit on my lap. That's actually my son. Most of the worship leaders do not come and sit on my lap after they sing. So just so you know, that's my son Knox, and I'm Uh, He did a great job with William and Sammy. Uh, We're so glad that you're here. We've continued to study and work our way through Ecclesiastes, and we're coming to the end in a couple of weeks, and it's certainly been hard to hear. What we want is it to build to this moment where it finally explains everything, but honestly, Ecclesiastes is making the opposite point, that life is unpredictable, that life is cruel, that we won't get the piece of information at the last second that makes it all make sense. But instead, that in life's cruel and unpredictable nature, there is more going on than we can see. There is more going on than we can see. So that's what I want us to dwell on. Right now in the midst of the coronavirus and an ugly election cycle, there is more going on than we can see. Let's focus our hearts on that. Let's pray and ask God to bless our study of His Word this morning. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I thank You and I praise You for Your Word and Your Holy Spirit. I thank You for each person that's here. I pray that You would kindly bless us, that You would encourage us, that even... In a time where 
We don't have the comfort of our community in the same ways. We can't hug each other and shake each other's hands. We can't be a part of the same kinds of Bible studies in small groups and city groups. We can't even sit in a row together. We entrust ourselves to you. We're trying to believe together that there's more going on than we can see. Would you please make that real for us this morning? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When Aaron and I were in college, we got into a massive car wreck. Our car had sort of uh, ceased to function, and we pulled it over to the side of the road, and we were stopped almost off of a highway. Both of us were very intimidated because we kept feeling the cars whizzing by us on the left, and we kept thinking, I hope one of those doesn't hit us. And I knew the wise thing to do was to protect Aaron. The wise thing to do was to protect Aaron. And so I said, Aaron, I need you to open the door, get out of the car, and run up onto that hill. See, it was my desire to do something wise. Get out of the car, run up that hill, and you'll be safe from whatever happens next. And she said, I'm not sure I should get out of the car. And I said, I need you to trust me. You need to open the door, run up the hill, and get out of the car. And she said, I feel scared. So she opened up the door trying to listen to me, and all of the highway noise got louder and louder and louder. And then she closed the door again, and she said, I can't get out of the car. I don't think it's the right thing to do. As soon as she stopped speaking... Our car got hit from behind very hard, and we were slammed into the rail in between our car and the hill. Literally, as she closed the door and said, I don't think it's safe. You see, my wisdom was to say is to protect Aaron and get her far away, but the folly was that to protect her, I should get her out of the car. And she had a sense that with so much going on, getting out of the car wasn't going to do any good. And because she did not listen to me, she did not get pinned in between my car and the rail and die instantly. Now, Erin, I think every time I'm trying to give her a piece of wisdom or advice or information, she's looking at me like you're about to get me hit by a car. The point is, is one little bit of folly, one little bit of wrong thinking can mess up an otherwise wise thing. One little bit of folly can mess up an otherwise wise thing. That's what he's saying here. That's what Solomon's saying. He's saying not only is wisdom important, but even just a little bit of folly will wreck the whole thing. So there's just three things I want you to see this morning. What, what wisdom looks like, what folly looks like, and how Jesus is true wisdom. What wisdom looks like, what folly looks like, and how Jesus is true wisdom. Now wisdom, when it's talking about in the Bible, it's not simply talking about people that are smart. Obviously, it wants us to have insight and nuance, but it's also talking about a godly life. One of my professors used to say, wisdom is a skill in godly living. And it's important. Wisdom can rescue people. Did you see it in 13 through 16? It says, I've seen this wisdom under the sun and it seemed great to me. Little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it 
a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered the poor man. What it's saying is that a little bit of wisdom can stand up to great strength. Wisdom can bring so much good. Wisdom can rescue people. Where in your life do you need to give a little bit of wisdom for the sake of others to be rescued? Maybe that's wisdom is speaking up gently to others who need to hear something. Maybe that wisdom is to restrain yourself from speaking when they think you're going to talk. Maybe that wisdom is a certain way you treat the people around you so that they will know that you have love, care, and compassion for them. But we are surrounded by people that need to be rescued. And it's saying here that we need to live wisely in order to rescue them. How are you in particular living wisely so that people can be rescued? He also says wisdom is better than strength. You see it in verse 16 and 18. He says, but I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. And in 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. What he's saying is that it's even more important to have this skill in godly living than it is to have strength. You are more good to those around you because of your skill in godly living than you are because of your professional prowess. Because of the strength of your personality. Because of the many gifts that you have, those do not compare to the importance of having wisdom. He says it outdoes them all. Most of us are still trying to live off of the strengths that God has given us instead of this skill in godly living. The skill in godly living which knows what to say and where and when and when to restrain ourselves. Wisdom is better than strength. We're a young church for the most part, and I, I encourage you to immerse yourselves in this idea that what God is calling you to is something of a skill in godly living life. That other strengths and opportunities will come and go, but what he's saying here is follow God and listen to me and live humbly, and that will mean matter than all that will matter more than all of your strengths in other areas. Wisdom is following God even when it doesn't make sense to you. Wisdom is following God even when it doesn't make sense to you. The reason that that is is because it's saying, I trust that you know what's going on better than I do. I trust that you have a plan better than I could possibly imagine. I trust that you'll be at work even when I can't see it. Can you imagine how much we need wisdom right now in this season? With the coronavirus and an election season, it's us believing, striving to believe that God knows what He's doing, that God is still on the throne, that the one who rules all things, who created all things, is not concerned in the least, worried about who's going to be in the Oval Office. That the King rules over presidents. And for us to believe that, yes, we engage, yes, we vote, but we entrust ourselves to something larger. Wisdom is following God even when it doesn't make sense to you. 
And then the last thing he says about wisdom is wisdom is quiet and not loud. Look with me in verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is quiet and not loud. In your office, it's tempting to speak up often and loudly so that your voice and your ideas will be heard. And the godly perspective is that you restrain yourself, that you listen more, that you ask more questions, that you be someone that people have to ask for your opinion rather than you share it wildly. One of the ways that we see this is in parenting. People will offer all kinds of parenting information when you didn't ask for it. And as godly parents, we need to restrain from imposing ourselves on others' lives, on other stories, on others' kids, unless they ask us for it. The same thing when you're meeting and hanging out with your unbelieving friends. It's so easy to speak up and tell them what they're doing wrong, why they're not listening, why they don't get it. And instead, what if you showed the biblical wise restraint to wait until they asked you for it? Till they said, what's going on? Why, why doesn't this make sense? Why can't I get it together? And then you were to speak. Wisdom is quiet before it. It is not loud. In James 1.19, it says this, My brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. He takes this, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If you are an angry person, it's saying to us, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, just a quick picture of what folly looks like. We talked about this a little bit already at the beginning, but folly is invasive. A little folly can wreck wisdom. In verse 18, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And then one, he says, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. He's saying just a little bit of lack of godliness can ruin an otherwise godly thing. So where are you working just a little bit of folly into your life? Oh, this sin doesn't matter too much. Nobody's going to know, and it's not that big a deal. Just a little bit of folly ruining an otherwise godly life. Or you could go the other way and say, this sin matters so much, I should be humiliated. I should never tell anyone. I should never ask for help. A little folly working its way into an otherwise godly life. A little folly can ruin an otherwise good thing. Not just that it's invasive, but it's a heart stance before it's an action. Verse 2 says, A wise man's heart inclines to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now what he means in this text is that a right inclines to the right way and the left to the wrong way. He's not talking about politics. It's the way that the Bible talks about the right way and the wrong way. The right way is to the right, and the wrong way is to the left. 
But let me ask you, he says, wisdom comes from inside. What are you doing to have your actions driven by a heart of wisdom? What are you doing to keep your heart going the right way? We tend to think if we aren't doing anything wrong, then we must be doing something right. But what he's saying here is there is inertia to being wise. You have to keep things moving in the right directions, otherwise it'll slow to a stop. What are you doing to care for your heart? Let's meet with others, pray, read, sing, rest, entrust yourselves to God. But what are you doing to keep your heart moving in the right direction? What are you doing to move your heart in the right direction? And he says, folly lacks self-awareness. Look in verse 3. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. What he's saying is, is that a fool doesn't get the fact that they're a fool. In fact, they think they're smart. They think they should have others' attention that... A fool doesn't know that they're a fool. They lack self-awareness. Self-awareness, my friends, is one of the secrets of life. And the best way to be self-aware is that you keep people in your life who can speak into your life in a way that you can hear it. Gently, wise, restrained, redemptively. Many of you know I love the show The Office. Michael Scott and self-awareness. And there's this scene where Andy Bernard is finally on the is finally on the staff, and he's bothering Michael so much. He's intense, and he's overly friendly, and he talks too much. And there's a scene where Michael is hiding behind the door, and he's talking about Andy, and he says, I just don't understand how someone can have so little self-awareness. Michael Scott talking about someone else. The point is, is if you're not self-aware, you don't know it. You think people need to hear your wisdom, need to hear your insight, and instead, people wish you'd just be quiet. How, who do you have in your life that's helping you to be self-aware? And then he, again, he comes back to this idea that folly is anger. Wisdom is restraint. Look in verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Folly is living an angry life Wisdom is living a restrained life. Parents, how are you restraining yourselves for the sake of your children when you're frustrated? Spouses, how are you restraining yourself with your words when you're frustrated with your spouse? Wisdom is restraint. Folly is anger. And then he says, lastly, folly rises to power. Verse 5 through 7. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an er er error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. What he's saying here is that folly, not only is it not self-aware and it's angry, and a little bit of folly goes a long way. Not only those things, but folly in the world in which we live, it actually rises to power again and again and again. For instance, if you think of who your boss is, my staff aside, if you think of who your boss is, isn't there a time when you think, this person has no idea what they're doing? 
How in the world did this person get this job? You guys don't think that, do you? Okay. That's what he's saying, is that strangely in the broken world that we live, folly rises to power. And what we're supposed to get from that is don't be surprised when it happens. Don't be surprised when it happens. Folly rises to power. It has political implications, obviously. But folly also sounds like this. If this person is elected, or if this person is re-elected, our world is over as we know it. Elected or re-elected, our world is over as we know it. That sounds like folly. Because the king is still on his throne. And we see that in Jesus. 1 Corinthians says this, Jesus is the wisdom of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, though wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to, to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block. What he's saying is this, is that the ways of God will never make sense under the sun. The ways of God will never make sense under the sun. And so we as God's people need to rest in that and entrust ourselves to that. If you don't understand tragedy, why some little one would lie dead on the street and criminals sometimes get away with what they're doing, why you don't understand that, he's saying, of course you don't. That's the wisdom of this world. If you don't understand why bad people can win and good people lose, of course you don't. That's the wisdom of this world. And he says, I can relate to that. I was innocent, Jesus says. I was concerned for others, and they put me to death. That's the wisdom of this world. But in God's wisdom, he takes things and flips it upside down and says, I will make what seems foolish in this world wise, and I will make what seems wise in this world foolish. We are in a time in which many people look foolish. That none of us know what we're doing. None of us know where it's all headed. And he's saying, that's because you live under the sun. But you know me. You know that I work best taking what looks foolish and making it wise, and what looks wise, making it foolish. And you can see that in my son. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Friends, if you know Jesus, we are still tempted to run off to other kinds of wisdom. How are you connecting your heart to the wisdom of Christ? And if you don't know Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. But what wisdom is in your life? What have you put your trust in, your weight in, your faith in? And haven't you seen it all come crumbling down in the last six months? He says that we can put our trust in Christ and live a restrained, humble, wise life 
and not join the noise all around us. Let's pray. Father, we want to be wise. We want to rescue others. We want to be gentle in our tone. We want to help those who need our help. We don't want to live in folly, angry and unrestrained and destructive. We thank you that Jesus came as the wisdom of God. One who is powerful being made small. One who is good being treated like he was bad. One who deserved glory instead being treated with punishment and shame. So that we who are punished and shamed could instead experience glory. We pray that we would entrust ourselves to you. Even in these crazy times. We would live wise, restrained, quiet lives. For the sake of your son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.